0: Um, on May the 10th of 1863, it was almost to the exact midpoint of the American Civil War. Uh, General Thomas Jackson, better known as Stonewall Jackson, was dying of pneumonia. A week earlier, he had been wounded by his own friendly fire. A Confederate soldier mistaked him for a Union soldier, and he was shot three times. And um, some historians have have wondered if, if even the war would have turned out differently if General Jackson would have survived. he was one of Robert E. Lee's most trusted men and he was a graduate of West Point. Um, he had a what, what we would consider a rough childhood as far as his home experience but he had at 39 years old he had he had He had taken a great control over um many many men. He was a leader uh, You can read biographies of this man and he was he was really a a great man and a great leader and um you know as he you think about as he lies dying um, after a week after being shot by his own men that there would be some regret in his life right that what could have been what laid before him he was fighting for his home and his cause and and as he lay there dying they said his last words he looked out and he said let us cross over the river and rest under the shade of the trees and then he passed away and you know he wasn't looking back with regret over what he could have done could he done it differently a week ago could he have fought this battle differently? Could he have made other choices? He was, he was not looking back anxiously, but he was looking forward to rest. Let us go over the river and let us rest under the shade of the trees. That song that I chose this morning as our transitional hymn was titled How Sweet to Die. You'll notice it says, in memory of Elder S.A. Payne, in his last words, oh how sweet to die. And you know you can think about an elderly man surrounded by his family at his bedside saying, oh, oh, how sweet to die. Elder S.A. Payne was 33 years old when he said those words. Oh, how sweet to die. He wasn't to the point where he was looking forward to death. He had a life ahead of him. Um, but he wrote those words, oh, how sweet to die, which inspired that hymn that we just sang. And this morning, if the Lord will be my helper, and I ask that you pray for me, I want to look at some last words in the Bible. I want to begin with 2 Samuel chapter 23. Beginning in verse 1, 2 Samuel 23, it says, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, and the man who was raised up on high, The anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me. He that rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear, shining after rain. David recounts what the Lord had spoken to him, what the Lord had showed him, what a ruler must be. And then he begins verse 5 by saying, Although my house be not so with God. Can any of you relate to David when you look in Scripture and you see what a man should be, what a woman should be, what a child of God, a disciple of Christ should be, And then you look at your own life and you can say, although my house be not so with God, (laughs) although I haven't ascended to perfection, although I have stumbled and I have fallen throughout my life as I try to follow the Lord, my house is not so with God. I haven't met the standard for God's people. But listen to what David says. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure." David, as he's on his uh, deathbed, as he's giving his last words, we've inspired, the writer is inspired to say, these are the last words of David. He would live a little time longer, but as he's giving his last statement, he looks into the everlasting covenant, the covenant of grace. The the covenant that's everlasting, it was before the world began and it will still be in place when the world is over. Do you all understand that's what everlasting means? The covenant where God chose a people and Christ covenanted or agreed to go redeem those people. The Holy Spirit would regenerate those people. And finally, Christ in, in the covenant would come back and gather those people and deliver the kingdom to the Father uh, for eternal bliss. That's the covenant that David is looking into as he, as he recounts his last words. He says, it's, Listen to what he says about this covenant it's ordered in all things and sure. You know, there's a lot of clauses in contracts that people will manipulate to get out of a contract or to get out of a promise or to get out of a, an agreement or something they've said they will do. But with this covenant, he says, it's ordered in all things insured. There's nothing that can disrupt this covenant. You could look to Romans chapter 8 to see a lot more about this covenant. It begins with God foreknowing and predestinating a people who will eventually be glorified. And, that, and that's what David's looking into. And you notice that covenant there that David says that God has made with me. Um, you know, we learn throughout Scripture that that was a covenant that, that was a in many ways a one-sided covenant. David was the beneficiary of that covenant. But David had no terms within the covenant that he had to work out or any qualifications that he had to meet for that covenant to be Sure, that's why he could say that it was ordered in all things and sure, because the covenant and the benefits of the covenant all rested upon God enacting the covenant. He says it's ordered in all things and sure. And then listen to where he finishes in verse 5. He says, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. David, at the end of his life, when he looks back on his life and he can maybe not even with the regret, but he can just make the honest statement that my house, my leadership, my life has not been exactly what God has called it to be. I've failed in, in, in other things. He looks back and he draws hope by looking into the covenant which God had made with him. And he says, this is all my salvation. He doesn't look back and say, you know, I fought the giant when nobody else would. <laughs> look at this glorified nation that I've, This capital, this look at, uh, you know, what's going to happen to Israel because of the things that I've set forth. No, none of that mattered at that time. He says, this covenant is all my salvation and all my desire. And I imagine as you get to your last words, your desires, the things you crave, the things you long for in this life will really be focused down into the things that really matter. I doubt there's many people on their deathbed that say, I wish I'd have spent more time at work and less time with my children. <laughs> I wish I'd have taken, you know, I wish I'd have gone to that football game on Sunday morning and not to that, that church service. They probably will focus down on, these are the things that I really desire, and David says, my desire is to see this covenant of grace that God has enacted for his people. I want to go to Acts chapter 7 with you, and we'll look at the last words of the first Christian martyr Stephen. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 has just delivered a a sermon to a an angry crowd of Jewish religious leaders and and those who were anti-Christian, they've they've been stirred up among the people and he delivers he delivers a sermon going through the history starting with Moses, the history of God's people. And and he gets to Uh, the end of that sermon and in verse 51 he says "Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did so do ye now Stephen is not trying to win friends and influence people here with his preaching is he He says you are the ones who have crucified our Savior he says you were the ones who who the, the law was given to, but you have not kept it, he says in verse 53, and they become enraged. And it says, and when they heard these things, verse 54, they were cut to the heart. This didn't prick them in their heart. They didn't have hearts of feeling. They were, they were enraged that Stephen would lay this blame on them or would censure them in this way or would preach so boldly about the things they had done, and they were cut to their heart, and it says they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, verse 55, being full of the Holy Ghost. It says he was full of the Holy Ghost. If you go to chapter 6, you can read that, that Stephen, at least, at least twice, it may be three times, maybe more, that he was full of faith. It says that Stephen was full of faith. Here it says he's full of the, the Holy Ghost. They're gnashing upon him with their teeth. And it says he's full of the Holy Ghost. He looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. Think about that. Stephen, this man has just preached this sermon. He says, I see the, the heavens open and I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. What a miraculous thing. But these people with hearts of stone who were, who were anti Christian, anti the message of Christianity. They don't care what Stephen saw. They cry with a loud voice so that no one else can hear him. And then they stop their ears so that, so that they will not hear this message. It reminds me of what we looked at last week with those who will turn their ears from the truth. They, they drowned out the message of truth, what Stephen was seeing, and they ran upon him with one accord. They come to attack him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They're, they're executing this man. And it says, And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. It be very interesting, because I want to look in just a moment at the last words of this man, Saul. And if you, can, if you can see the difference between the man who's holding the coats or the clothes of the men who are stoning Stephen, in the last, you, you can see what he was doing then, and you can read his last words. You can see what God can do in somebody's life. <laughs> And don't don't ever forget what God can do in your life or in the life of others. And it says in verse 59, and they stoned Stephen. And as they are killing this man, it says he was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. in verse 60, I think, something we don't want to skip over, it says, and he kneeled down. (laughs) I want you to notice this, as Stephen Boldly. It took courage, didn't it, for Stephen to stand up and to preach this message to this crowd that was stirred up, this mob, really, full of rage. And he stood up and preached the truth to them. He stood up for Christ among a people who were against Christ. And as he's standing there, they begin to, to, to gnash upon him with their teeth, and they close their ears, and they scream, and they, and they run upon him all at once, and they begin to stone him. And, 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 and we don't see until, until verse 60 that he kneels down. He was standing the whole time. Do y'all see that? He was standing the whole time. And I believe that's what the power of God can do in your life when we are faced with hard things that we must stand up for. It wasn't the power of Stephen that kept him up. It was the power of God that kept him standing. But now his life's coming to an end, and he kneels down, and he begins to cry with a loud voice. You know, he, was, he saw a miraculous thing. The heavens are open. He sees the Son of, of God standing at the right hand of God, and, 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 and the, the mob cries out so that no one can hear it, and they close their ears, but now as Stephen kneels down, he gets louder so that they can hear him, and he says to God, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Here's a man that if there's ever been a, a, a man other than Jesus Christ, here's a man that could say, I've been done wrong. I've done nothing but tell the truth. I've done nothing but try to help uh, the widows, as you'll see in the, in the sixth chapter if you read back. I've done nothing but try to devote my life to the church. And, and my payment for that is that this mob has stoned me. They're killing me. But yet, with, with all that I have left, I don't, I, 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 I don't cry out what they've done wrong, or, or, or what could have been, he cries out, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. You know what that tells me, that if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you're full of faith, the closer you get to Christ, the more you're gonna resemble him, because if you'll remember, one of Christ's last words were, lay not this to their charge. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so we see this Stephen, this courageous man, And his last words are words of forgiveness to a people who have done him wrong. I want you to turn now in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I want to read to you verses 6 through 8. Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, says, For I am now ready to be offered the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them also, that love his appearing. Here in the closing chapter of this epistle, to Timothy, we have some of the last words of the Apostle Paul. Last week we looked at verses 1-5 through five and Paul had charged Timothy, he says, I want you to preach the word. As you go forward into this world that's full of deception and full of peril, full of danger, I want you to preach the word. I want you to be instant, in season, and out. be always ready to preach the word, Timothy. He says, there's going to come a time where people won't hear it. Like those who stoned Stephen, they're going to plug their ears. They're going to cry with a loud voice. We don't want to hear the truth. We want fables. We want smooth things. But he said, I want you to be watchful and endure all those things and do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of your ministry. He says, I want you to fulfill your ministry, Timothy. For, he goes on to say, because, and we're going to see that the reason he's encouraging Timothy in, in in these five verses to continue to preach Is because he's passing the baton to Timothy. His time's come to an end. And he's saying, Timothy, I need you to be courageous. I need you to endure. I need you to keep preaching even though people aren't going to hear it. I need you to make full proof of your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. I've been evangelizing since the time that the the Lord struck me down on the road to Damascus. After I had held those coats. Of the men that stoned Stephen. He says, I've been evangelizing. I've been preaching. I've been instant in season and out of season. And now I'm giving you the baton to carry on this ministry for I'm ready to be offered. (laughs) Do y'all see that? He says, I'm I'm, I'm passing it down to another generation. A lot we could learn just in what what Paul said right there. You know, there comes a time in the life uh, where you have to pass the baton to another generation. A lot of churches have been have been injured, have been um, hurt by, you know, by men and women, people who wanted to keep leadership longer than they should, right? They don't wanna pass the baton to the next generation. You know, there's always, the generation before always did it better than the generation that follows, right? You, uh, you, 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 you were always tougher, you know? It's the old, I'll walk to school uphill both ways in the snow, right? <laughs> and now y'all take the bus and and then I'll say I had to get on the bus and now you do it on a computer. <laughs> you don't wanna get out of your pajamas. You know, it's always the, um, it's always the we had it harder. Well, a lot of times you wanna hold on to power or wanna hold on to your way. You don't pass that baton and, and that can hurt a church. But also it can really hurt a church if there's a generation that's put their life into the church and the next generation doesn't wanna take the baton and take over, right? follow on in the ministry, to continue in the ministry, to make full proof of their ministry, to endure in the church. And so that's not the message for today, but that is how the church has operated for 2,000 years. It's one generation handing off the sacred trust to the next generation, and that's what Paul's doing here. He says, for I'm now ready to be offered. And that literally means it's a drink offering. I'm ready to pour out my life and, and there's coming a time not too far off in Paul's future where he will die a death of, of, of martyrdom just like Stephen, and he says, I'm ready. I'm ready to be offered. He faces life, or he faces death with such courage. I'm ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. He says, the time when I'm ready to depart from this life is near. Paul Paul knew that his time on, on, on earth was short. I like that his departure. That that word literally means an unloosing. Like you would, if you've ever been on a uh, maybe a boat, you've been to the lake, maybe you have one, maybe you've got friends that have one. And and you know, somebody's job is always to unloose the, the rope right from the dock so the boat can go away. That's what he's saying. He says, My lo- I'm about to be loosed from the ropes or the chains that have held me down to this world to enter into another he says, the time of my departure. Notice that, it's at hand, it's near. But he says, the time of my departure. And when you use that word departure, uh, it just goes with that, that there's an arrival on the end of that departure, right? You go to the Birmingham airport today, uh, you, you get past TSA and um, you walk through the, the opening there, there's a large screen and on one side there's departures. There's, there's, there's planes that are taking off from Birmingham, and they're departing Birmingham, they're arriving somewhere else, right? And there's another side that's arrivals, and it's planes that have taken off from some other airport and they're arriving in Birmingham. Well, Paul says, the time of my departure is at hand. And um, he fully expected that he was gonna depart that body when he was offered a a, a martyr's death. He was going to depart his body, but that wouldn't be it. He was gonna arrive somewhere else. (laughs) He told the Corinthians, he said, uh, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says that they're confident, I say, willing, um, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know what he's saying there? He says when we exit this body, when our, when our soul is, is unloosed, when this body is no longer fit to house the spirit that God gave it, it's unloosed just like you would tie that rope away from the pier and it goes off to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, awaiting the resurrection when your body and your soul will be reunited, when your body will be glorified, when, when, when all things will be made new. He says, I'm waiting for the time that I depart. My departure is at hand. In verse 7, he goes on and he talks really about his legacy. You know, a lot, a lot that we talked about today, whether it was with uh, General Jackson or... Elder Payne, or, or David, or Stephen, when we talk about their, their last words, they were leaving a legacy, right? We, they're remembered for what they said. And, 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 and some people have left a legacy of, of shame, but not these men. And Paul himself, he's leaving a legacy. You know, a legacy is something, uh, you could think of a legacy of the, of the money that you leave or the wealth that you leave to your family, or it could be the name that you leave, or the way you lived your life, the example that you leave. To the next generation, and here Paul is going to go through his legacy. He's going to say that he was a he was a fighter, he was a finisher, he was faithful. Notice he says, "I have fought a good fight." He says, "I've I've been striving." I, I in, in this this word of, of of fighting, he's been putting up with difficulties and dangers. Uh, he he's contended and struggled with, with with many things. It's it's. He's he's drawing on imagery of, like, the Greek games or the Olympics, that he's he's a fighter. You can think of a boxer today, and he says, now listen, there's a lot of people that like to fight, but not for the right reasons, (laughs) right? You can fight a bad fight. You can fight things that don't matter. You can fight in ways that are for your glory and not God's. But here he says, I have fought the good fight. I have fought an honorable, noble fight for the cause of Christ. He says, I have fought a good fight. He was a fighter. Then he says he's a finisher. He says, I have finished my course. Notice, remember in verse 5, he said, Timothy, I want you to make full proof of your ministry. What he's saying is, I want you to endure afflictions so that you can do the work of an evangelist and so that you can finish out your course in life. Your course in life was to be a minister, Timothy. And I want you to make full proof of your ministry. And here Paul is saying two verses later that I have finished, I've concluded or I've fulfilled my course. The course still drawing on the imagery of of Olympic Games or Greek Games. That would be the the course on which the race was run, right? If you run a, a marathon, you have a course that you stick to. You turn here, you turn there, you go this way, you go that way until you finish the course. And you know, most people... If they're if they're running a marathon, their goal is to finish, right? <laughs> and he says, "I finished," and that should be our goal. and And this this theme keeps coming up through Second Timothy that the goal is to endure, the the goal is to bear under the pressures, under the perilous times, to endure until you finish. That you want to finish strong, right? And 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 then we see that Paul was faithful. If you can be these three things, a, a, a fighter for the good fight. And, and, a, and a finisher of your course in life and, and faithful. He says, I have kept the faith. <laughs> Paul could look back at the end of his life and some of his last words, his last statement, he could be, he could say, I have protected, I have guarded. Um, one word for, for kept there means that I have maintained purity. I have maintained the purity of the word of God. Y'all see that? The doc- we have our articles of faith, right? We have uh, 12, 13 articles of faith from who God is to his word, how salvation works, to marriage. Uh, we have articles that we, as a church, believe these are, these, these are statements of belief that we believe are non-negotiable, right? It's the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Jude 3, he exhorts those that he's writing to. He says, he, he says I exhort you, that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints he's, he's encouraging them that you are to earnestly contend that means you don't give up you fight you fight the good fight that's what paul was doing he's fighting the good fight of faith and he says i, I just like judith said there or like uh like i'm talking about this doctrine of beliefs this this set of beliefs the holy scriptures the gospel of god your, your job as the people of God is to protect that, right? When we talk about one generation passing the baton or the duties over to another generation, what we want to do is take that gospel that we've been entrusted with, that pure gospel of salvation by grace and pass it to the next generation un, uh, unpolluted by the doctrines of this world or the doctrines of man, right? And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I, through everything, I haven't been I haven't bowed, I I haven't compromised on the Word of God, even though there was those in Galatia that would say, you need to add this to the Word of God, or this to how salvation works. Maybe those from Jerusalem that would come saying, you need to do this. He says, I haven't done it. I have stood just like Stephen stood in the face of trouble, in the face of, 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 of despair and of a raging mob. He says, I stood with the help of God, and I am passing to you a faith that is unpolluted. And and so, as we we read that today, I think the question to us would be, what what are we fighting for? How are we enduring to pass to the next generation the same gospel that we came up on, right? And the same gospel that goes back some 2,000 years, the finished work of Jesus Christ. He says, verse 8, henceforth, here's the last words of Paul. As he's getting to the end of this letter, this is the last letter that we have preserved for us of Paul. He's, he's thinking about the offering that is going to take place of his own life soon. He says, henceforth, from this time forward, not even something that he's waiting to in the future, he's saying from this time forward, there is laid up for me. There's something reserved for Paul, he says. There's laid up a crown of righteousness. He's still drawing on the imagery of these Greek games and he says this is not a crown of royalty you know there's 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 one in heaven who will wear the crown of royalty right it's the king but he says this is the crown of a victory you can think of this as the gold medal of those who were victorious of those who won and he says there is laid up for me a crown or a wreath of of what of righteousness of righteousness of being right with god and you say how how, how are you going to get that paul which the Lord, the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. You know, there's all kinds of theories about what this crown is and how do you get this crown and what do we need to do here so that we can get this crown in heaven. And, you, and if, you, if, you, if, you, if you look into all that, you miss the point. This is a crown that Christ is going to give you freely because He was victorious. Do you see that? It's the crown of a victor. It's not the crown. It's not some, uh, you know, some repayment or some reward for the way you lived your life here. It's a crown of victory for the way he lived his life here. And he says, I'm giving you a crown of victory. And not only will I get this crown, Paul wasn't saying, you know, he wasn't thumbing his lapel and saying, I've done it better than all of you. He said, No, throughout the generations, all of God's elect, all of God's people who long to see his second advent, you're all going to get that same crown. <laughs> and so, do you sense in David, in Stephen, in Paul, is there any sense of anxiety or fear about what's to come? I mean, the fear of the unknown is one of the most debilitating things in our lives, isn't it? If, um, I get in trouble all the time, I don't know if some of you do, I get in trouble all the time if I'm, maybe I'm going somewhere with my family, my wife, and, and, and I ask all these questions, who's gonna be there? What time do we need to be there? <laughs> what are we having for dinner? <laughs> I want to know, I want to be prepared. And if I don't know, I don't feel good about it. (laughs) You know, I need to know if I want to go, right? (laughs) Uh, If, uh, you know, you just like to be, you like to know what's coming. It's very scary to go into a situation and not know what's coming. Well, none of these. None of these men, any, any of that we've mentioned today, we've mentioned five men, three from the Bible, three from the last few hundred years. All of them were leaving a situation that was the only life they had ever known to enter into something they've never experienced. And there was no fear at all that you could detect from their last words. There was no anxiety. They weren't, they weren't you know, gripping onto this world saying, no, I've got one more thing I need to do. <laughs> I don't want to go. They were like Elder Payne. They were saying, oh, how sweet to die. And, and as I thought about that this week, it's like, how do you have that kind of, that's a, see, that's a peace that passes understanding, right? There are those in this world who believe that this is it. This is it, there's nothing else after this. You're just a product of of random chance anyways, and once you die, that's it. And, you know, if that's your worldview in life, then then what is there to look forward to? (laughs) If this is it, you know, do whatever you want to do, because this is it, right? (laughs) You're not living for someone else, you're not living for another time, And, and then when you're, When your your loved ones depart, well, I mean, who wants to stand over someone's grave and say, well, that was it? (laughs) What comfort would that bring you? Standing over your loved one's grave and say, well, they made it 60, 70, 80 years, 33 years, 39 years. And that's it. Now, I want somebody to stand over mine and say, God, stand over my grave and say, you know, was a modern miracle. I <laughs> can't believe he lived 500 years and got better with age. And <laughs> I doubt they're going to say that. Somebody once asked, what do you want people to say over your coffin at your viewing? And they said, he's alive. <laughs> We joke a little bit about that because that's how much we love this world, right? I want somebody to say, Josh has been gathered unto his people. (laughs) Josh has departed and now he's arrived. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I believe what Paul was thinking there is you really start living once you die. Because you really haven't lived until you die. That's what he was saying. Until you depart from this world. Well, how could these saints have so much peace? I want to I go with you to John chapter 19. The gospel of John chapter 19. And we'll close with these thoughts. Your Bible reader, you'll, you'll know where we are in the gospel. 14 it says, and it was the it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour and he saith unto the Jews the words of Pilate, he saith unto the Jews behold your king. But they cried out away with him, away with him, crucify him Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered and said, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. It says that he bore his cross and he went forth unto a place. It's called the place of a skull. In the Hebrew it's Golgotha. In just a few words there we read where they crucified him and two others with him on either side and Jesus in the midst. And during that time, they're crucifying our Savior. And you go on to read through the 27th verse. He, he makes sure that his mother's taken care of. and it says Now listen thousands thousand years earlier a little more less a little more David had led, David had laid on his deathbed and he said I don't have it all together I'm I'm giving you my version paraphrased. David had said in his last words, he looks back on his life and he says, I've made a mess of my life. Which could lead you to despair, right? I get one shot at this life and I've made a mess out of it. I haven't been the dad I need to be or the mom I need to be. I haven't been the preacher I need to be or the disciple I need to be or the citizen I need to be or the friend I need to be haven't done it. My house isn't, isn't so with the Lord. I don't have everything in order. I haven't said all my goodbyes. I haven't made right with everyone that I've done wrong. He says, my house isn't so with the Lord. And he's laying there, and he says, yet he's made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. And he says, this is all my salvation and all my desire. He's looking forward to something that has yet to be fully executed. And now we fast forward in time. And here's Jesus being crucified. And it says after this, in verse 28, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. What does that mean, y'all? Does that mean Jesus knowing that most things were accomplished? That 99% of the things that he came into the world to do, that he covenanted with the Father before the world ever began, were accomplished? Or does that mean that all things were accomplished? Come on. (laughs) He says, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. You know what the message of the gospel is? The gospel is to go out to show the children of God that all things have been accomplished. (laughs) The, The message of the church, the goal of the church, the mission of the church, the mission of the preacher is to go forward and to show people that it has been accomplished. It's not to go show people how they can make it accomplished or how they can make it acceptable, but to show them how they've been made acceptable because it was accomplished. Our goal is to help people know what Jesus knew. He says, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now, now what what he had come to do, which was to save his people, in case you don't, know that and I don't say that disparagingly if you've never heard that Jesus came to earth to save an elect people out of every tribe out of every kindred out of every tongue out of every nation on this earth a multitude that no man can number that's what Jesus came to do and so 33 years later he is on a cross and he knows that it's been accomplished but yet there was still some scripture that needed to be fulfilled so he says I thirst now there was set a vessel, a vessel full of vinegar. And they filled a sponge with vinegar. Put it upon a hyssop. And they, and they put it to his mouth. On a stick they put vinegar to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar. He said. It's one word in the Greek. It's three words in English. He said it is finished. And he bowed his head. And he gave up the ghost. And in that one Greek word, that is how David, a thousand years earlier, could look forward and say it is ordered in all things and sure, because he knew that there was one who was going to finish it. (laughs) You know, we said Paul was a fighter, and Paul was a finisher, and Paul was faithful, when, when Jesus cried out on the cross, notice they wet His lips with vinegar and with all that's within Him, he, he musters one more word that is translated into our language as it is finished, paid in full. What He's saying is, Father, I fought. Father, I finished. Father, I've been faithful. And I truly believe that is what those men were looking into when they could be on their deathbed and say, I haven't done it all right, but yet there's one that has. When they could kneel down after standing for the cause of Christ and say, Father, forgive them. Don't lay this to their charge. Or that that, that there there could be a man like Paul who looks out at so much to do. There's so much land that we could go to preach the gospel. The fields are wide unto harvest. There's so much I want to do in evangelism and in ministry. But yet my time's come to an end, Timothy. I fought the good fight. Have no regrets. I finished, and the reason that they could do that is because Christ cried out, "It is finished." If we don't have "It is finished," then David doesn't have a sure covenant. If we don't have "It is finished," then Stephen doesn't have the clouds open and Christ on the right hand of God, as the Victor, as the royalty, as the Savior, and if we don't have "It is finished." then Paul doesn't leave here and await a crown of imputed righteousness because righteousness hasn't been secured. Do you see that? They all look back on it is finished. Because it is finished, that's why we can keep fighting, right? Because it is finished, that's why we can finish strong. (laughs) Because it is finished, That's why we can be faithful. They were all looking to the one who was faithful to them. You and I can face whatever life brings us. Uncertainty, hard times, or even death with the same peace that these men face life with because it is finished. You understand understand how life changing, history changing, (laughs) those words, eternity changing. Those words were, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. The finished work of Jesus Christ is what delivers us in this life and it's what will deliver us at death. Looking into the covenant of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's sing a hymn. Let's stand and sing number 347. And if there's any in this church today who would like to come forward and follow the one who successfully saved you through water baptism, you can come forward and let that desire be known at this time. Let's stand and sing number 347.